For those that don't know me, I'm Jordan Goodrich, and I am so happy to be preaching the Word of God to you. I'm so privileged, and um, we're going to be in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. And in 1 Timothy, I want you to just pay attention as I read, and then I'll explain how we got to 1 Timothy when we've been going through the book of John. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed but have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way. Since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. In fact, we labor and strive for this because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of everyone, especially of those who believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for your Holy Spirit to apply the words of the Scripture to our heart this morning. I pray for wisdom, understanding, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So you're thinking, how in the world did we get to 1 Timothy? What's your message for for choosing sermons, Jordan? And let me tell you, it's called the holy finger drop. I just flip through the Bible, bam, oh, 1 Timothy. That's where we're going. No, 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 no. Don't worry, don't worry, that's not true. It's not not that way. When uh, we were in our family devotions a couple weeks ago, uh, we were reading through 1 Timothy, And we get to chapter four, and I'm reading through, leading the family, being the good dad, and this verse just pops out at me. The training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, verse eight. And I said, all right, kids, let's memorize this. This is a good verse to memorize, right? That's what you do with your kids. You say, let's do something fun. Let's memorize this. So we did, and I'm gonna have you do it this morning, all right? So I'm gonna say a line from this version, and you guys will repeat it back, and we'll memorize it together. The training of the body has a limited benefit. But godliness is beneficial in every way. Since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Great job, kids. You did a wonderful, wonderful. And you guys... I still am struggling to remember that, but you know, my son and daughter back there, they could, they could go ahead and just spout off that verse, right? Because we memorize it, and kids are great about that. But I, and it was wonderful, but we moved on from that family devotion, and I, I got to thinking there's, there was something about that verse I didn't quite get. So I'm going to have to dive into this one a little bit more. What does it mean to train in godliness? What even is Godliness. Do I have a right understanding of godliness? So that's where this this message came out of. 
this whole idea of, I need to understand this because I'm, I'm not getting it. There's something going on here. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at two things. We're going to look at what is godliness. And then we're going to look at how do we train in godliness. So we might have a certain un understanding or idea of what godliness is, right? Maybe it's a lifestyle. When you think of a godly man or a godly woman, oh, they live their life a certain way. Or it's don't do bad things. Do good things. Read your Bible. Pray. Maybe it's, you know, we kind of have this idea of godliness. Or maybe we just think it's all about getting to heaven. Getting rescued out of this hellhole. Am I allowed to say hellhole from the pulpit? I just did. I better stop saying it if I can't. Right? This whole idea that the earth is bad and we're just hanging on. Get me out of here. I can't wait to leave this earth and be with Jesus. It's all going to burn. Is that, is that godliness? We're just hanging on for heaven? And after studying and diving in, and we're going to get into that more, this is the big idea I came away with. It's that there is purpose for this life, this life, along with hope for the next, because Jesus reveals what true godliness is. Let me say that again. There's purpose for this life, along with hope for the next, because Jesus reveals what true godliness is. And I would argue that when we see the true godliness that Paul's talking about here, and he's teaching Timothy about, we see that it brings meaning to the physical world and it deepens the eternal weight of our lives, right? There's an eternal aspect, there's a very physical and real aspect. And I think the best way to look at this is to understand what Paul and Timothy were encountering in this culture. Hey, is that bugging you guys? Yeah, no, no, good, okay, it's bugging me. I'll try to stop that. You know, what, what is it that Paul and Timothy are struggling with and engaging with and fighting against. And we see it very clearly here in, uh, look at verses six and seven. Now there was two major ideas that Paul and Timothy were fighting against. One of them would be uh, the idea of the Judaizers and one would be the Gnostics. So let's look in verse six and uh, seven. Right in the middle it says, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed, verse seven, but have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. So there's the good teaching of Christ in the gospel, and then there's these other teachings, these irreverent, these silly myths. What are these ideas that are floating around that Paul and Timothy are, are going after? And you really see it in the two camps. You have the Judaizers, and the Judaizers were pretty familiar with, right? These aren't different religions. These are people who accept Christ, but pervert the gospel. The Judaizers were saying, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but you need to keep the law of Moses. You need to be circumcised. These two ideas, right? Judaizers, circumcision, and don't eat this food, eat this food. That's the Judaizers. The other side that you're encountering is the Gnostics. And these both pervert the gospel. The Gnostics said, yes, Jesus came, but he came not to do a work of atonement, 
not to take the wrath of God for our sins, but to teach us the way to enlightenment. And by gaining knowledge through his teachings, we will gain an enlightenment and escape this evil world. See what's going on? The Gnostics very much thought creation was evil. They couldn't comprehend a good God and the creation, a creation that was evil. So the Gnostics said creation is evil. God really didn't, didn't make that happen. That was a mistake. So that's what the Gnostics believe. And what's very important is what they believed about Jesus. That's where they went wrong, right? The Judaizers said Jesus came so that not to fulfill the work of Christ, on, the, fulfill the work of atonement on our behalf, but to show us, you know, keep the law, obey the law of Moses, be circumcised. That's the perversion of the gospel. And the Gnostics went the other way and said, it's not about what Jesus did. It's about what he said so that we can escape this evil world. So these are the two worldviews that are going on. And I want, we really see this in, in chapter 4, right at the beginning, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. So with those ideas, the Judaizers really overemphasized the physical. The Gnostics really overemphasized the mental, the just escaping the physical world. So I want you to see what, what Paul says in, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. Right? These are the false teachers that are going to arise. These are the ones that Timothy's going to have to combat, and Paul's saying, watch out for these guys. These false teachers are coming, and this is what they're going to teach. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. Pointing right at that idea of the Judaizers, right? It's not about the foods you eat. God created all the foods as good. And verse four, for nothing created by God, for, for everything created by God is good. See that poke at the Gnostics? Creation is good. Everything God created is good. And nothing should be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. So these are the two sides of the gospel that you can fall off of. Overemphasizing the physical. It's about the foods you eat. It's about do this. It's about don't do this. It's not about the work of Christ. Or the other side of the gospel, right? It's just the teaching of Jesus, and it leads us to this transcendent state of enlightenment. That's what the Gnostics would say. And we don't really have Gnostics running around today, or Judaizers. Maybe we do. But what do we have? Do you see the influence of these ways of thought in perverting the gospel? Legalism? Overemphasizing the way to earn God's pleasure is by doing this, doing this, doing this, eating this, don't doing this, don't do this bad thing. That's the perversion of the gospel if we think we earn salvation that way. And what's the other side? I think we see this maybe a little bit more sneakily of the physical world is not good. It's, you know, I call it, it's all going to burnism. Right? 
there's really no point in this physical life because it's all going to burn. And there's an element where the, the world's going to be tested with fire. We know that from Scripture. But he's saying here, there's something about the physical world, the earthly world, that has value that even Jesus came to redeem the physical world. And that, you know, it's all going to burnism usually pops up selectively, right? When we're reaching for that third or fourth donut, it's all going to burn. It doesn't matter what I do in this life. But does it? I, I think we can see that sneaking in a little bit. There might be something there. And Paul is just reemphasizing to Timothy, in light of these perversions, don't fall off either side of the gospel. Don't fall off the side that overemphasizes the legalistic trying to please God through what you eat. And then don't fall off the other side into Gnosticism. Look again at verse 9. Or actually verse 8. It holds promise for the present life. This training in godliness, this element of godliness has value for this present life and also for the life to come. What is it about the gospel that holds value for this life? So godliness is not simply manipulating the physical world to gain God's favor, and it's not leaving the evil of the physical world to escape ignorance and be enlightened and transcendent enlightenment, but true godliness is a collision of heaven and earth. It's the both and. Don't we see that? Look in, look in verse uh, 16. Actually, chapter 3, verse 16, going back. And I'm working, I don't know if you'll see this, but I'm, I'm working my way backwards in the book. I think you're supposed to go forward. But in order this pursuing this theme of godliness, what is godliness? I kept having to go back. What is godliness? And we see it right here, the mystery of godliness explained. So in case you think I'm just making this up, we, Paul explains what this mystery is. Verse 16, the most certainly, chapter 3, 16, most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. So now, when you hear a mystery, you might have heard this before from someone, somewhere. What's a mystery? Is it a whodunit? No, a biblical mystery is, somebody, somebody give me something. Something once hidden, now been revealed. Right? It's not still hidden. When we hear mystery, we don't think something once hidden but now revealed. What's the great mystery of godliness? You see that in verse 16? The mystery of godliness is great. It's huge. What's this mystery that was once hidden but now revealed? What is this way to please God, this, this idea of being godly that's been revealed? Jesus. Look at what follows. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That's the mystery of godliness. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ revealed. He's revealed the way to please God. It's not... When we think godliness, we should never ever think of a checklist. We should think of a person. So if we get nothing else, 
out of this message, if every time you hear godliness, you think, ah, Jesus, then that was well worth it. Godliness can have just this, ah, I can't put my finger on what godliness is. But he says the mystery of godliness is great and the revelation of God is Jesus. Right? He was seen, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Jesus is the full revelation of how to please God. And that moment in history, if we can just get what that meant for every area of life, not just eternal life, but this life, the impacts of the gospel that are ongoing. And it's, it's not, it's the way to please God. Godliness is through faith, right? That's the whole message of the gospel. That's what godliness is. And it's, we see this even in, um, going back to our, our text, in verse 10 of chapter 4, God offers salvation to the whole world. That's what the revelation was. It wasn't just that the Jews are God's chosen people. He offers salvation to humanity. He's entered history in a point of time and said, the way to be right with me is through my son. Have faith in him. Believe in him. That's the mystery of godliness revealed. It's the most important message we can tell people. It's the most important message we can interact with in every area of our life. He didn't wait for humans to just muster up enough godliness, enough goodness, whatever we think of it. He didn't wait for humans to do that. He sent godliness to us. Godliness is a he. Godliness is a man, the man Jesus. And it's the collision of heaven and earth. It's the physical, the heart of the gospel involves the physical and it involves the, earth, the eternal. And you think, why does he keep bringing this physical and eternal, this earthly and eternal? What is it about the gospel that's both? And I want you to see this. I know I told us to go back to verse 10, but we're gonna go back to chapter three, verse 16. So you're following with me here. This mystery of godliness that's great, that's revealed as Jesus, Look at how Paul emphasizes the physical and the eternal. Look at this. He was manifested, Jesus, in the flesh. In the flesh. Vindicated in the spirit. See that? Flesh. Spirit. He was seen by angels. Other side. Angels. preached on among the nations, the earthly nations. He was seen by the heavenly angels. He was preached on among the earthly, or among the heavenly angels. And then again, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. You see that dualism? You see the, the gospel right at the heart of the gospel, everything about Jesus? It wasn't just an eternal God giving us a message from heaven and it was an eternal God who came as a man. 
manifested in the flesh. And not only was he seen by angels in the heavenly realms, he was preached on among the world. Jerusalem and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, all the nations, Assyria, Babylon, Rome, physical, earthly nations he was preached on among. He was believed on in the world. We don't put our, he was believed on in the world and then taken up into glory. You see that? Right at the heart of this gospel, who godliness is, who godliness is, not what godliness is, who godliness is, is this idea, no, no, it's a collision of heaven and earth. There's something physical, there's something heavenly that, Im- that is impacted by the gospel. So godliness is not pleasing God through the physical or even escaping the physical world through higher enlightenment. Godliness is the gospel impacting every area of our earthly life and it gives meaning and purpose to the here and now and as well as life after we die. So when you think of godliness, right, what is godliness? I hope we looked at it. It's the gospel. It's Jesus reveals the way to be right, to please God, and it's through faith in him, through faith. But how do we train in godliness, right? That's the second part. How do we train in godliness? If godliness is the gospel, how do we train in it? Two things. Our thinking is transformed by the gospel, and our actions are transformed by the gospel. That's how we train in godliness. Let's look at this, verse six. Again, a good servant of Christ, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed, but have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. That word nourished there, sometimes translated trained by the words of faith, nourished by the words of the faith. It's this idea of being educated, being mentored, being grown by the words of the faith. Think of uh, Padawan. Do we, do we know what, when I say Padawan, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have, has Star Wars influenced our culture enough yet? Does it, does it need to more? Maybe not? No? Okay. Right. Padawan, the Padawan learner was the apprentice. Right? It was the, uh, the Jedi master, and then he had a Padawan, a learner who would come alongside and learn the ways of the force in Star Wars. Right? That's, that's this idea that we see. So when you see this word nourished, this educated, this trained, this by the words of faith, that's what's going on. There's education involved. There's teaching that's involved. There's training. And that's what Paul says the words of faith do for us. Nourished by the words of the faith. What are the words of faith? It's the gospel. Right? Why do we call it the faith? Why is Christianity the faith? Because it's the way to please God has been revealed to be through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what's training Paul. That's what's training Timothy. That's what should be training us is interacting with the idea and being nourished and educated by faith. 
by faith in Jesus. And the good teaching, you see it there. The good teaching that you followed. And that's the words of Jesus and the message of the apostles bringing truth. Bringing the truth of God's revelation in Jesus. So the words of Jesus don't take us to just transcendent ethereal enlightenment, right? We're trained, we're nourished by interacting with the gospel. Our thinking has to change. This happened to Peter. You guys remember the story of, of Peter in Acts chapter 10? Where Peter is on the road, or he's actually hanging out in his house, and this vision all of a sudden appears to him. And it's a vision of a blanket, and inside are all kinds of food. And food that a Jew, a good Jew, is not supposed to eat. And the Lord showed him this vision and said, take and eat, Peter. And Peter said, nope, I'm not going to do that. That's profane. That's common. That is not good for a Jew to eat. And the Lord said, what I have cleansed, you must not call profane. The Lord was teaching Peter. What was he teaching him about? It was about the Gentiles, right? Then these messengers appeared at his house and said, the Gentiles want to hear the gospel. And Peter's like, ah, now I see. What God has cleansed, the nations are part of the plan. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. God was changing his thinking. His mindset had to be shifted. That's what the gospel does. That's what the revelation of Jesus Christ does. It changes our thinking. Peter had to stop thinking of viewing the Gentiles as unclean. And the Jews couldn't try and continue to attain righteousness by keeping the law of Moses. Their thinking had to be changed. The revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done, it's going to confront our thinking in every area of life. And if it doesn't, we're not interacting with the gospel. What, why do we divide the secular and the sacred? Why do we have that, that division? Does the gospel actually reach every area of your thinking? Does it, or does it stay within the four walls of the church? I think that's an area I could be challenged in. What areas of my life, how has my thinking not been changed? In any area, think about food, marriage. How are we growing in our marriages? Are we, is our marriage more godly? Is the gospel shaping it and how it's supposed to be? I'd like to think I've grown in that area. You can ask my wife and double check. She would give the honest answer. Right? Parenting. We have a, a parenting class that's bringing the gospel to bear because it changes our thinking about raising children. The good news of God. It, it reaches every area of life. I want to challenge you. There is not a single area of life, an area of thinking the gospel doesn't change our thinking, doesn't it change our, our ways of, of dealing with it. Can you think of any? Education? Oh, no, 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 no. We educate in science and math, not for because of you know, the goodness of, of Jesus, but because that's totally separate. Your job? Do we say, well, 
the gospel doesn't apply here? How can we be challenged to say, Lord, change my thinking about my job? Lord, change my thinking about, about anything that, that you can come up with. The gospel reaches every area of our lives. When it comes to your, your job, um, man, we're going to hit this at men's advance, so get excited, but did you know the earth was created for Jesus? It's his inheritance. Psalm 2. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Ask and I'll give the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession, Psalm 2. This earth is Jesus's. How is our work, how is what we do making his inheritance better? Wouldn't that change the way we view, not just clocking in and clocking out, so we can actually get to, to what really matters over in these areas? No, the gospel touches every area of your life, and that's what I want to challenge you. I want to be wrong. I, really, I want you to prove me wrong. Think of an area that the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, that it now the way to please God and have eternal life is through Jesus come down to earth. Tell me how that doesn't affect every area of our thinking. Can you think of one single area of life? We don't have to fear because death has been erased. It changes our thinking on everything. The coronavirus we prayed about. How does the gospel impact that, right? Let's get real practical. How does the gospel change our thinking on school, on work, on education? And you know what? We as Christians have been put on the defensive and say, no, 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 the gospel doesn't apply over here. You guys keep that way of thinking in the church. Don't bring, don't bring that out to society, so help me. But the truth is, it impacts everything. It affects every area, and not only that, so it changes our thinking, the gospel changes our thinking, and it will also lead to actions, right? The way we think shapes how we live. The way we view the gospel will affect every area of our life. That's why the whole book of, of Timothy is about how do, you, how do you live in the church now? How do you interact in, uh, in the world? It's all practical instructions. It's not just ethereal thinking. It's no, live this way in light of the gospel. Romans 12.1, because of these great revelations of the gospel of being through faith in Jesus Christ, the first 11 books of Romans, now do not be conformed any longer, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the heart of the gospel. And I, I want to challenge us. That's my simple challenge is, is interacting with the gospel in every area of life. And ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, show me which ways I've said, okay, over here, I'll interact with the gospel. But it doesn't apply over here. I think we tend to do that.
And this is what Paul, Timothy, are agonizing over, striving in this earth. Paul doesn't say it's all going to burn. It doesn't matter. No purpose to this life other than getting to heaven. Look at verse 9. The saying is trustworthy, deserves full acceptance. In fact, we labor and strive for this because we've put our hope in the living God. Laboring, striving. These are strong words. This, this laboring is a sweaty word. I want to give you a good mental picture. Think of the sweatiest man you can. Maybe I shouldn't have done that for you guys. That's toiling, striving. And then think of a guy coming out of the field. He's been working all day. That's toiling. What has Paul been toiling towards? This is the gospel has impact in this life. Godliness has value for this life and the life to come. It's worth spending everything over. Is it worth you guys agonizing, toiling towards, seeing the gospel reach every area of life? I'm challenged in my own life, my own way of thinking. It's a process, right? My mind has been transformed in my thinking, but I still got a long way to go. Do we ever stop interacting with the gospel? Ever? The gospel, we think of the gospel as, Jesus saved me, I'm going to heaven. That's the gospel. Godliness shows us that's not the gospel. Godliness is the reality that Jesus has come and redeemed the earth, changed our thinking in every area of life. And this life matters. There's purpose. There's a great scene from the movie Gladiator. You guys might know it. Marcus Aurelius Maximus. Man's man. He's rallying his troops into battle. He uses his best gravelly voice. He says, brothers, what we do in this life echoes for eternity. We want that to be true. Talk about a rallying cry for action. He knew what would motivate his troops. Is that true? Does what we do in this life echo for eternity? Does it matter? Because of the gospel, it does. For no other reason. If you don't interact with the gospel, there is no purpose. There is no meaning in life. Think of anybody you meet on the street. They want significance. There's a longing, a deep longing in the human heart for significance and meaning that my life matters. We want it to matter. Because of the gospel, because... Jesus came. He's given meaning to life. And we don't stop interacting with it ever. If you haven't interacted with the good news that Jesus has made the way for you to be right with him, come to him today. Faith in Jesus is the way. 
That's the beginning. That's just the beginning. It's not, all right, got my ticket to heaven. Don't stop interacting with the gospel ever. Let it change your thinking. And I want us to pray, Holy Spirit, show me how I need to change my thinking so it accurately reflects the truth. And we need to be bold in some areas and confront the arguments that set themselves up against Jesus Christ. Right? 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5, what we think of as taking thought, every thought captive, that, that idea of taking every thought captive is, oh, don't think that bad thought. I'm going to take it captive. Put it away. That's not taking every thought captive. He says, the weapons of our warfare, battle imagery, powerful to demolish arguments, and anything that is to raise up against the knowledge of God. Taking every thought captive. It's not the privacy of your own mind. That's competing worldviews. The truth of Jesus doesn't stay within the four walls. The truth of Jesus has application in every area. Think through. How do I need to change my thinking? How do I need to have boldness to confront that lie that set itself up in my conversation? Well, the biggest lie I can think of is evolution. Talk about devoiding you of any meaning and purpose in life. You're just cosmic goo. No purpose. No reason to do anything. The truth of the gospel says there is purpose. You were created in the image of God to serve King Jesus. That's why you were created. Get after the reason you were created. Changes our thinking. We can't say, well, okay, we guess we came from cosmic goo. No, take it captive. Say, let me tell you, that's wrong. Lord, give us boldness to confront every area that we encounter in this life. And talk about interacting with the gospel. We're going to close. We're going to have communion here. Interacting with the gospel on a regular basis. That's what we do with communion. We allow the truth of what Jesus did on the cross to shape our thinking. Let's never, ever outgrow the gospel. Never say, oh, don't need that anymore. I'm good. I don't want that to ever, ever change of me. Lord, shape my thinking by the gospel. Lord, change my actions because of the gospel. Let the truth of Jesus and everything he's done impact every area of my life, my family, my marriage, my work, the interactions that I have. Anything that you can think of, I challenge you to think of an area that the truth of the gospel doesn't apply. Lord, shape our thinking. So, Music team and elders, would you come up as we, as we take communion together? And it's such a beautiful picture. And as we, t- as we take the bread and the cup this morning, uh, and you have a moment to reflect, I challenge us to just 
Lord, give us an ability to see the gospel with fresh eyes. That's a prayer worth praying. Lord, as I'm pondering the bread and the cup, show me how this applies to every area of my life. The gospel has power to transform our thinking, to transform our actions because of what he has done. And I want to read just the words of a hymn that's been rolling through my head the last couple of weeks. It's a newer hymn. But the words, I just, I can't get them out of my head. So I'm going to put them in your head. Be a lamp for all my days, Lord. Bear a torch that I might see. Through the fog of bitter pain and know your purpose lies beneath. Oh, to taste and see the gospel as I never have before. Be a lamp for all my days and I shall walk in endless joy. Oh, to taste and see the gospel as I never have before. I pray this morning as we're taking communion that you reflect and ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, Lord, show me how the gospel needs to transform my thinking as we take the communion together.